You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, and 60 minutes only, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. I'm JR. Hello, I'm Simon. Hello, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Matt. Did, okay. No, I'm just trying to slow things down already. Oh, you're trying to make me a liar? Yes. All right, fair enough. <laughs> 61 <coughs> minutes. Oh, God's sakes. Um, I've got an email. <clears throat> this email is one month out of date. Whoop. <laughs> well, I check it. I'll <clears throat> We don't usually get any emails because I never give out the email address, which is blueboxpodcast.yahoo.co.uk, in case anybody does want to email. And I check, the, I check that email account once a week, and usually I just glance at it because there's nothing there. And if there's something bold at the top, I know it's new. Yes. And this one came in a month ago, and somehow it wasn't boldened. So I must have looked at it about four times before finally, about two hours before I came out tonight, I was looking at it and thinking, I haven't read that one. When you say bold, you mean marked as unread rather than hmm. exciting and <clears throat> like. Well, well, let's find out. What was the, what was the headline? Wouldn't it be great if they animated Shada again? <laughs> we did that last week. Oh, did you? Yeah. Why do you think that's a good idea? <sighs> <laughs> do I think it's a good idea? Well, yeah, it's a good idea. The, you could argue there are better ideas, but I understand why they're doing it. That's well, my view, yeah, probably. it's Tom Baker, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So regardless of what people who fans of the missing episodes might think, this is going to sell better than the Macro Terror or even probably Evil of the Daleks or something like that. And if it does, presumably, that'll give them more wherewithal to go on and do something like the Macro Terror or Evil of the Daleks afterwards. That's a good argument for not doing Evil of the Daleks. Is obviously Power of the Daleks was the last one. Another Trout and Dalek story. Yeah, it would have left you with nowhere to go. Exactly. We said that at the time, I think. Speaking of things that were said at the time, this is from Graham Boyd, this email, and it's now a month out of date, and it's kind of been superseded by conversations that have been had in the meantime. Still, it's a nice email, so I'm going to read it out. He says, he says, Hi, anyone who is in the blue box this time, and JR. <laughs> Hello. <clears throat> He says, I needed to get this idea about the Christmas special out of my head as no one else seems to be suggesting it. And as I do not have a podcast with a loyal and intelligent listenership, I thought I'd use yours. Wow. Um, It'd be really nice if we had one of them, wouldn't it? Well, a podcast <laughs> with a loyal and intelligent <laughs> listenership. Yeah. Oh my God, he's just he's <laughs> just said something nice about a listenership and one of the actual members of this podcast. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't me. I mean, what's going on? I was considering saying something, but I thought, no, we best not insult our, li- our listenership. <laughs> insult ourselves. But I couldn't work out how to reflect that. That's how ourselves. I usually do it. But Simon just went ahead and just... Well, completely, it was loyal. It was, yeah. Completely okay. dissed the listenership. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only person he's not dissing is Lee, who doesn't listen. 
I think I think, yeah, that's true. I think we're going to yeah. drop behind. Um, that's ironic. <laughs> podcast baking live, aren't we now? Yeah, you know, which is what number number hundred and eighty four. Mm. Yeah, where are we in the charts, by the way? Oh, I don't know. I never look at anything. <laughs> <clears throat> really couldn't say. He says, Graham says, so I am happy. <laughs> So I am happy with the idea of using It's a Wonderful Life as a template for the Christmas special. But everyone assumes it will be Capaldi taking on the Jimmy Stewart role. If we flip this so that it is the first Doctor, who at the end of The Doctor Falls is already commenting on the fact that he does not wish to renew himself, that he becomes Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Then this leaves Peter Capaldi to reluctantly become Clarence, convincing the first Doctor to go on with his lives because otherwise all of time falls apart. Being confronted with how much good he has done proves to him why he must let his own regeneration happen, despite his initial reservations. This leaves us with a hopefully upbeat, well at least by the end, Christmas special, with an active Twelfth Doctor, which logically extends out of the end of The Doctor Falls. And if all of this is slotted in around a framing device of a conversation with a remarkably convenient diner with an impossibly familiar girl behind the counter, that would be (laughs) nice too. Oh, and the name of the episode, It's a Wonderful Lives. Oh, That's a good title. Yeah, it's not yeah. that though, is it? No. No, it's but twice upon a time. Okay. But if Chris Chibnall's listening, you might have that for next year. <laughs> well, yeah, but except it won't be relevant then. Oh, yeah. Uh, he says, I thank you. And also, thank you for trawling through this lengthy missive. But it wasn't that long, Graham. It was all right. I, I, that was obviously immediately after... Um, yeah. The Doctor Falls had been on. Mm. And since then, I think it's been discussed enough that actually his ideas seem to be the most sound and that's probably how it will work. I think that's Do you think it'd be general... that way around? I think the general idea that people have got from the trailer and from what little we know about it is that the First Doctor doesn't want to regenerate and the Twelfth Doctor doesn't want to regenerate. But the First Doctor being the First Doctor, the Twelfth Doctor will have to take him by the hand and teach him that he wants to regenerate and in doing so will learn himself that he wants to regenerate and he'll turn into Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. I think that's I think that's what most people now have sort of come to mm. assume is gonna happen. <clears throat> well I was taking a swig of tea, so thanks the three of you for filling in for me while I was we doing it. We were just that. thinking about it. So mm. can you not hear us <clears throat> on the podcast then? <laughs> the thing about it is, Lee, <laughs> when you're thinking about something, it is possible to hear the cogs in your head. <laughs> But I was having wind. Oh yeah. What in the mind? But the no. reason nobody hears the cogs in your head, Lee, is because <laughs> the fat skull. <laughs> I know. Because it's because, because it's because you're never actually thinking about anything. It's because you're steam powered. It's because the hamster's caught in the cogwheels. Oh. <clears throat> we do have a subject for tonight. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, entirely on a whim, I asked our listeners to nominate their top five favourite doctors. Okay. So, well, I said we were going to do Dr. the top. Dr. Yeah. Okay. Not Harold Shipman. <laughs> oh, my God. Nah. No. <laughs> that reminds me of something, actually. Before we go into the subject, I've just had the two Kojak telly movies from 1985 and 1987 to review. Oh, lucky you. Wow. No, no, they're both actually rather good. Well, lucky you, then. Although they're um, a little of their time. And they seem to be straight transfers from the VHS master, so they're oh. muddy as hell. 
But they, have, they haven't lavished money on remastering no. the Kojak TV movies. No. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> wait till Criterion Collection get onto that one. <laughs> well, the point is that these were all released. Kojak was released on DVD in about 2011, I think it is. And it was released around the world. The whole lot was released around the world in 2011, apart from Series 1, which had been released a few years earlier. But the UK, and the UK only, didn't get the telly movies. Mm. And they've just released them now. And, well, given what you just said, it reminded me of it. But, well, the reason probably why they didn't do that is because the second one of the two telly movies is essentially the story of Madeleine McGann. Oh, okay. Which is kind of spooky, given it was... Well, it came out in 1987 from a book that was written in 1977. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the parallels are uncanny. And they just pile up and up and up throughout the entire 90 minutes. Till by the end, it starts to get slightly uncomfortable. Wow. So uh, <clears throat> I've probably oversold that now. So people will go out and find it and say, well, I don't know what he's talking about. But, <laughs> but I was watching it this That's morning. That's how our female listeners do. <laughs> yeah. I was watching it this morning. And I was just thinking, you just no, it's not going to go. Well. <laughs> oh. I was watching it and I was thinking, no, they're not going to go there. Oh, they did. Wow. No, they're not going to go there. Oh, they did. And I was thinking, well, it's obvious why this didn't come out sort of like a year after, what was it called, Operation Branch or something? The yeah, UK Operation it. was set up in... UK Operation was set up in 2011, and I think this was due to come out in 2012 or something. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's obvious why it didn't. Well, I'm assuming that's the reason. It's the only reason I can see. Shall we... Uh, I'll say what our subject is, as soon as I was halfway through it, before I interrupted myself. Kojak. You're listening to the bald-headed podcast. and <laughs> He doesn't suck lollies in the telly movies, because in between He's the series... Hey, he loves you, baby. Is that what you used to No, say he doesn't say that either. <laughs> Somebody says it to him. <laughs> I'm sure he used to do this. Yeah, yeah, oh, Matt's taking the mickey out of Kojak. Oh, I've never seen Kojak. And he's never seen it. No, I've never seen uh, Kojak. Yeah. But I know what the, the catch is. It used to is. bore me rigid when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I used to turn it off. <clears throat> the, the telly movies are a slight reinvention. And the, these two, because there was another series of six a few years later, but these two are both based on novels that weren't Kojak novels. Mm. So what they did was they took crime... Well, one was a crime novel and one was an investigation into a true story, which was about, um, well, something that's quite famous now, but at the time it was little known, which is that um, after World War Two, the Americans got loads of Nazi sympathisers out of Eastern Europe and gave them protection so that they could work with the Americans on... Um, Operation Papercut. Yeah. So this wasn't very well known at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, when the book came out, they adapted it for Kojak. So these two telly movies, <laughs> bizarre. Yeah, I know. It's like weird. You're expecting Who Loves Your Baby and Sucking Lollipops, and you're up to your ears in White Russians. Wasn't there a stage where <laughs> they, somebody had a word with him saying, you're, you're getting the kids eating too many lollipops, so start chewing gum instead? Oh, that's a- was that Kojak? Was that something else? I would have thought that was probably something else because we're talking the seventies, and I'm not sure. It might have been mm, okay. Well, maybe it's cigar. Maybe he, no. I think maybe he smoked cigars to start with, or something like that. And then oh, then he went to smoke cigars ah, and told him to suck lollipops it. instead. You may be right. Possibly. I've never it seen could it. Be. Well, there was a Columbo team. with cigars. I must have looked him off. He on did used to computer. smoke. Kojak did used to smoke. Maybe. Yeah. Ah, didn't he start sucking the lollipops? To give up the cigarettes. Well, there was... Uh, oh, yeah, you could be right, actually, yeah. Mm. There was a TV movie that, again, was an adaptation of a novel 
that started the whole thing off that worked as a kind of pilot and then six months later the series started after the TV movie had been a success. Mm. So maybe he smoked in the TV movie and then went on to the lollipops. And the... Mm. But anyway, he ended up with loads of fillings. So when they... Uh... <laughs> so the series... Made his hair fall out. So the series finished in about 78 or something and then when they did the TV movies a few years later, no longer with the lollipops. For the next 60 minutes we'll be talking about Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) But first... (laughs) So our listeners all nominated... Our intelligent listeners, get it right. Some of our listeners on our Facebook page... (laughs) No, I won't say that. I'm the only one. No, I'm the only one. Slowly running out of loyal listeners. Sorry. Oh, as well as finding Blue Box Podcast, as well as emailing Blue Box Podcast at yahoo.co.uk, everybody could go on iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Uh-oh. That's what everybody else always asks for. I never do, do I? No, yeah. I'm pretty rubbish at that. I'm doing loads of decorating at the moment, so I'm going through loads of podcasts and they all say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now I've said it, so I don't need to say it for another three or four years, do I? <laughs> so, our listeners voted for their doctors. I gave them a choice of 14 Doctors, which included Peter Cushing and all the ones who've been in the TV series. And, well, I said we'd do the top 10, but we might as well do all 14, mightn't we? Or maybe we do 13 and leave the bottom one, because nobody likes to come last, eh? (laughs) 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 Although, to be honest, the one who came last is dead, so I don't think he'll mind too much. So, yeah, so actually we will do all 14, and maybe we'll just skip... We'll skip the one who came in 12th, because I don't think he likes to come last. No. <laughs> this is getting very hard to do with Lee and Simon, both turning the colour of beetroots, uh, sitting right in front of me. <clears throat> Incidentally, I'm going to put a, another poll, because the reason I did this was because we had a poll for Series you've 10. Very, you've been very bored. <laughs> no, like, we had a, a poll for Series 10, and, we, and I got oh. loads of messages on Facebook saying, oh, I love it when you do polls. And I love it when I listen to your poll episodes. And I said, well, it's a bit sad, really, because we've run out of series now. We've done them all. We've done them. And, then, and then you had a brainwave. So we've got no why polls do, left why to do. do. Why don't people rank the doctors <laughs> from best to worst? Yeah, because <laughs> I, I know I, that... I have no just, idea how you thought of that. Well, Sorry. I was looking no for a little controversy. No one's worst. No. no. Well, actually, it Just turns out from Peter from best, Cushing is worse. From best to baker. <laughs> Peter Cushing is worst, apparently. So it turns out that somebody is worse. Least like. Have you done have you done your, your ingenious percentage yes, calculations? I have. And does Cushing come last with your ingenious percentage? Yes. I did it slightly differently this time, though. Oh, okay. You'll be pleased to know. I worked out Did you use Pi? <laughs> No. <laughs> Instead of working out what percentage of the overall vote they'd got, yeah. I worked out what percentage of the top mark vote they'd got. In other words, if there were 50 people <laughs> and they all marked five doctors, there would have been 250 votes available, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody got 150 votes, then they got 67% of what would have been had they got the top mark. Now Matt's turned the colour of a beetroot. <laughs> so the percentage I've got here... I'm, t- I'm, don't look at me, I'm, I'm torn between I'm torn between not understanding and not really caring. <laughs> and I don't know which way to go. Well, so I think, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm it's the not that. caring that is causing <laughs> no, no, the not understanding, because it's fairly simple. Okay. <laughs> Peter Cushing got 0.7%. 
of the available vote. Say that, vote. Once, say that once more. What's the percentage? Peter Cushing got 0.7% of the vote that was available to him. Okay. So in other words, if he'd have had, if it had been Mark's top from everybody who voted, he'd have had 100%, but he got 0.7%. Right. Because only two people actually had him on their list. Right. Which is fair enough. He's the non-canon doctor. And mm. let's face it, anybody voting for their top five doctors is probably going to pick <coughs> That's quite five TV really, doctors. It? Well, it's nice that he didn't miss out altogether. Mm. Because let's mm. face it, if I, if I was to nominate my favourite doctors, right, Peter Cushing wouldn't even be in the running. So it's nice that he even got yeah. a couple of mentions yeah. at all. <clears throat> and seeing as he is no longer with us and he came in last... I don't have to feel guilty about saying it, do I? No. Right. So, <clears throat> so I don't have to feel guilty about mentioning any of them now, because the one that I might have felt guilty about saying has come in last didn't come in last. No, no. So it was worth putting Peter Cushion in there after all. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> right, in 13th place <laughs> is John Hurt. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Which actually, and he got 3.2% of the vote available to him. Mm-hmm. Which actually I was quite surprised about. Yeah, so was I. Because even though he was only the one-story doctor who came in just for one story, and he was the, the missing doctor, who the doctor we didn't know existed, as it were, and who was sort of invented after the fact... Even so, he put in a ruddy good performance. He, he was in a very well-regarded episode, and it was an anniversary special, so it was seen by and a lot he was of people. A well-respected actor. Yeah, yeah, he was John Bloody Hurt for Christ's sake. All those bloody good stories that were written in charity books. Yes, we. Were, I was <laughs> going to say we, our opinions might be coloured by the fact that we've all written <clears throat> yeah, stories maybe. involving. I, mean, I spent a lot of time thinking about the John Hurt character. But whereas in other polls, he has done rather better than this, mm. which is why I'm surprised he's done quite so badly. So I mean, our one. intelligent, and loyal listeners haven't read our stories. Well, I suspect. They're probably thinking about their favourite doctors in terms of canonical TV stories. Okay. So, I, because there's fan fiction about all the doctors, Simon. Maybe there's a classic series, new series divide slightly. No, as we will discover. Okay. Um, mm. <clears throat> very much no, as we will discover. No, I, <clears throat> given how he has done, not brilliantly well, but better in other polls. I just thought it was a bit of a surprise he did so badly in this one. Maybe just among the group of people who voted in this one, he was slightly overlooked. Possibly because sometimes in other polls you get a different cross-section of people. Mm-hmm. So you will maybe get a cross-section of people maybe who only know the new series or don't know the classic <coughs> series so well. So they'll vote for maybe three or four new series doctors and will include John Hurt amongst those. It'd be Whereas... interesting to see where Paul McGann is then because... In a way, Paul McGann was only in one and a bit episodes, wasn't he? He was in one episode in special, in reality. But I was going to say... Screen time. In action, John Hurt was probably, probably had more minutes, almost. I, I think they roughly had the same number of minutes. And John Hurt did sort of appear in the last few seconds of another episode. So essentially, Paul McGann and John Hurt have had almost exactly the same amount of Doctor Who. Paul McGann's had more time to bed down. Yeah. And more sort of extra... Like BBC books and yeah. audio adventures. Yeah, like um, but I mean, I don't know whether when when you put that out there was the idea that it was TV 
stuff only. No, I was but trying to think. I just want to think TV. I don't want to be thinking. No, my. Or was it just genuinely? No, my suggestion is probably that most of our listeners know the classic series as well as they know the new series, so they were not favouring one or the other. Mm-hmm. So John Hurt would probably only turn up in lists from people who favour the new series. Whereas if you've got... See, John Hurt probably only turns up in a list of, if from somebody who maybe knows six or seven of the Doctors, but if somebody knows all 13 of the Doctors, John Hurt gets bumped down that list, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And I only ask for people's top five. If I'd have asked for a top ten... I suspect John Hurt might have turned up in six or seven spot quite often mm. and would have ended up rather higher up the list. Because I only asked for a five, you can do five entirely from the new series or entirely from the old series. <clears throat> and if you're yeah. doing it from both together, you know, somebody who's marginal is going to get... But as Matt says, Paul McGann, he's had longer to bed in. Mm. And because he's in that hinterland between the two series, he tends to get regarded as classic series. So I think classic series fans are more inclined to pick Paul McGann over even somebody like maybe David Tennant or Matt Smith sometimes. Mm-hmm. If they're and he's a lot more visible at things like conventions and yeah, I mean he's just he seems to have embraced his, his... the whole night of the Doctor thing as well was like a little view into what could have been mm. as well, yeah. isn't it? And yeah, and also the the day when that came out and this never gone away. We're talking about Paul McGann now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll skip over him when we get to him further up. But the day when Night of the Doctor came out, for so many people, it was such a nice surprise. Mm. Whereas by the time you got to Day of the Doctor, everybody knew that John Hurt was going to be in it, right? Yeah. So the Paul McGann thing in Night of the Doctor, that's one of those magical moments where forever after, that actor gets associated with the fact that you have a nice memory yeah. about yeah. a particular mm. day, a particular mm. thing. So yeah, yeah, maybe that helps elevate as well. Sure. Um, we are going to get through this in 60 minutes, Matt. Okay. <laughs> Possibly. Although maybe not quite so easily as uh, when <laughs> we did every story ever in 60 minutes. And went 20 <laughs> seconds over and skipped to, so it would have been 61 minutes. The Doctor, who came in 12th position, which is the, uh, it is the lowest position of all the Doctors who actually played, you know, the part for any sustained length of time. And actually, I am quite surprised about this, mm. because even though it's a bit of a joke to say he came in last of the normal Doctors, Colin Baker, his reputation has changed so much because mm. of mm. Big Finish, and everybody loves him. Yeah. So it was still a bit of a surprise that he came in 12th with, hang on, I should tell you actually what percentage he got. <clears throat> he got 4.9% of the available vote. Which actually isn't incredibly bad. Mm. And that that may be people that actually grew up with him as well, thinking about it. You know, you have... There's, there's a good friend of ours who's got Sylvester McCoy as a, as, as a favourite, and another friend of mine's got Colin Baker as a favourite because they grew up that, with that doctor. Well, we're okay, kind of talking well, why he came bottom, not why he did well. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, just saying why he's got a few votes. I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. I grew, up, I grew up with Colin Baker. Is he your favourite doctor? No, he's awful. <laughs> well, I, don't, I quite like Sylvester McCoy but Colin Baker I think oh, you, might, yeah, you might have a fight in your hands I think that maybe despite what people may have done on Big Finish and let's face it John Hurt's done quite a bit of Big Finish as well mm. you know in, in the time that he had to do it I think despite what's happened with Big Finish I think if you ask people for their top five and again this may have been completely different if I'd have asked people for ten instead of five 
I think they tend to go back and think about what was happening with these doctors on the telly. And if you look at Colin Baker, regardless of what you think of him as an actor, and regardless of what you think of the character as he was in those two series, and let's face it, the character as he was in those two series wasn't all that appealing anyway. But regardless of all that, that was when the hiatus happened and the cancellation, not cancellation. So some people regard Sylvester McCoy as the Doctor who essentially got Doctor Who cancelled. But I think we're in the middle of a period of um, <clears throat> reconsideration. What's the word I'm looking for? Reassessment. Reassessment. Yeah, that's not the word I'm looking for either, but that's good enough. Redemption. No, we're in a period, every Re- now and again... Reflection. Revivication. No, no, no. Every now and again, each one of the... <laughs> every now and again, each one of the doctors will become... It, there will be a sort of a fashion around mm. that doctor. Yeah. John Pertwee in the 1990s went from being probably the second most popular to the least popular mm-hmm. of the doctors because everybody said it was an establishment figure of pompous ass and all this kind of stuff. And obviously, famously, Paul Cornell was spearhead in that sort of way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And John Pertwee suddenly lost a lot of favour in the 1990s. I think we're currently in a period where Sylvester McCoy's doctor is the one that's fashionable to reassess. Mm-hmm. And Sylvester McCoy's doctor, instead of being thought of as the doctor who was there when Doctor Who died, is actually being thought of as the doctor who would have saved Doctor Who had the BBC only had enough faith in the programme. Mm-hmm. So actually, Doctor... Sylvester McCoy has been looked on rather fondly and I think that's possibly at the expense of Colin Baker who was there at the time when the cancellation should, in inverted commas, have happened when the BBC tried to kill it mm. and I and I think it's much harder to reassess Colin Baker in a positive light mm. because he never really did get the chance to develop his character in the same way as, say, Peter Capaldi did. So you never did get to see the good side of Colin Baker on telly. And like I say, with people only voting for five Doctors, I think the Doctor who's slightly contentious and who actually did better on audio instead of telly Mm -hmm. is going to get bumped off that list of five. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why Colin Baker's in that position, despite the fact that actually I think all of these Doctors, every single one of them, including Peter Cushing, if you had to draw up a list of all 14 rather than just the five, I think all of them would end up in enough of a variety of opinions that instead of the bottom one getting 0.7% of the available vote, I think they'd start at about 5% and go up to maybe 50%, something like that. I don't think any of them fail in the role. No. They all they all have certain qualities. It's yeah. just... Well, this is, this is the conversation I was going to... qualities than others. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the conversation I was maybe going to bring up later, depending how quickly or slowly we get through this. But, well, let's talk about the one that came in 11th, and then we'll get into the top 10, which was what we were actually going to do. And with 8.1% of the vote that was available to him, the one who came in 11th was Christopher Eccleston. Okay. Really? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But again, sort of, I've not really thought about this before I got here, but thinking along the lines we're thinking of, yeah. he's a one-year doctor. Whereas somebody like Paul McGann was only in one episode. Yeah. But that episode um, was important mm. in a way that... Well, that's an episode with a legacy. Whereas Christopher Eccleston's legacy was taken up by David Tennant. Mm. 
So a lot of the goodwill that Christopher Eccleston's doctor might have had yeah. has probably gone instead to David Tennant. But also when I'm when I was voting these things, I'm thinking of the actor that I liked and which actor was most successful and which actor sort of imprints themselves. And Eccleston's mm. a really good actor, but he's really remote. So he's he is literally he, that's all he did for Doctor Who. He's never come back, and that gives him a mystique. But it also, in terms of actors who have played the Doctor, well, and off the votes him down for that. Off the fourteen of the list, including Peter Cushing and Colin Baker hmm. and John Hurt, of the fourteen on the list, he's probably the least Doctorish. Yeah. Hmm. So again, if you're only voting for five, he's going to get bumped off that list. Yeah. You know. Obviously not by everybody, but you might like him. You might like his doctor. You might like his year as the doctor, but he only did a year and he's not very doctorish. So you're going to vote for five other people instead, probably. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's, that's my suggestion as to why he's landed. Cause mm-hmm. I don't think he would have landed outside my top 10 if I'd have voted, you know, for 10 yeah. rather than five. Yeah. And I suspect that's probably again, true for a lot of people. <clears throat> Should we get into the actual top ten now? Okay. Start the episode yes. proper, okay. yeah. as it were. Music as well. Do you want to sing a little thing in the background then while I call it? I'm not No, music, musically. Yes, music. It's the top of the pops theme. Which era? I've got yellow pearl in my head. Is it yellow pearl? Is it 2012 to present? Lee, is it 2012 to present? <laughs> again, again, I'm in a position of not understanding and not caring, and not, not knowing. Well, the full liner, full liner, major one. Do 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 that's the one I was telling. No, you. That's the wizard. Okay. Right. After our Kojak intermission and our top of the pops intermission, it was quite Kojak. In a little bit of a while, we'll be having a the herbs intermission as our intelligent viewers slowly. Our intelligent viewers more intelligent than you, eh, listeners? Slowly die off. Their intelligent viewers open their eyes. Okay, in 10th place, with 11.2% of the vote available to him, which is a fair jump, and so now we're in, yes. those are into double figures, yes. it is Paul again. Okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> what should we say about him then? I don't know, because we've already pretty much said it. <laughs> I mean, I will either... I, I had him in top five, which surprised me. There's a couple of things that surprised me in my oh, top really? five. Yeah, I had him in my top five, because I kind of got that... Kind of, uh, what's the word? Vibe from him that he was just really the right person. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I like him, and uh, I always had a man crush on him. I mean, anyway, so ever since with now, so I liked him, and um, so it's quite I, shallow, really. I liked him in <laughs> in uh, the Dawn of the Doctor, whatever it is. Time no, Night, Night, of the Doctor. Night of the Doctor. I just think in the TV movie. I think he's the best thing in it. He is the best thing in it, but it still feels like he's pretending to be the Doctor. 
But that might be I the costume. Know. I might, think he really heavily puts his own imprint on it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I quite think, strong. I think the costume's a large part of the fact that it looks like he's pretending to be the Doctor. But and he does whole... he does put his own personality onto it. Mm. But it is but a false it, costume. It, it feels well. like he's doing that in spite of what's going on around him. I don't mm. know. Paul McGann is one of the less personality-driven actors to play the Doctor. And in that respect, he's a bit like somebody like, say, Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. But he was given a script and direction where, which allowed it to come out more. I think, and I agree with Simon, I think it feels more natural in that script. Whereas with Christopher Eccleston, I really like what they did with Christopher Eccleston and the way it worked. But I think there are moments at the start, particularly of Christopher Eccleston, where it does feel a bit forced. Mm-hmm. But then I think with Christopher Eccleston, I think it's supposed to be forced because he's forcing himself after the, the t- devastation yeah, yeah. of the, the time humor, war. The show, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it's supposed yeah. to be like that. I think that scene at the end of Rose where he asks her on board the TARDIS and he's gulping like a 12-year-old who's just asking a girl on a date for the first time ever. I think that shows how much of his sort of cheerfulness in those first few episodes is something that he's forcing out of him. And you can and you know that because there's a moment in Rose where he makes a joke facing Rose and then turns away and his face just kind of yeah. drops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. That's the best bit he's in the whole, it on. Yeah, the whole yeah. episode. Yeah. That beats the wheelie bin. Oh I like that wheelie <laughs> bin. But I yeah, I think with Paul McGann it's slightly no, more natural. Yeah. But even though I don't think it comes naturally to him. I just love some of the there's some little sound bites. Just hearing him say the lines in the TV movie, I just think are beautiful. But that's as much to do with his speaking voice as anything, I think. But <clears throat> he's got a weird inflection. Yeah, it's almost speaks. poetic. Yeah, it is poetic. Um, no, it's, it's poetic. That, you know that line everyone go, quotes about these shoes. You know, yeah, that one. It's lovely. He's a little bit in that respect, Tom Baker, because they're both. Liverpudlians who are mm. sort yeah of, you're right there's a lilt to there yeah there's, but it's just very very slight it's almost like RP mm. with just this tiniest hint of scouse mm. that they both have mm. probably Paul McGann more noticeably mm. but it's probably there in both of them and so in that respect maybe some of the some of the emphases are shared between the two actors mm. shall we um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Cool. Oh, Matt's desperately trying to get no, this done I'm, in 60 I'm sort minutes. Of hoping, no, I'm sort of hoping Pertwee is going to be quite high. So Why do you hope that? Because I like Pertwee. Okay. I think Pertwee needs a Are we all? So, let me ask this now. Are we all hoping the Doctors we like did well? <laughs> well, I can... <laughs> You'll find out how Pertwee did. In Matt's own words, I'm not sure I care. Okay, I care enough now to ask Matt, where do you think Pertwee came? I suspect Pertwee came about Fifth or sixth. Bearing in mind that I've got the list open in front of Matt. <laughs> I'm not looking at it. I don't want to look. I want to be a... Okay. You know. When I say I don't care, I, I, it's been, it's my choices are my choices. So. Simon, who's your first choice? My first choice, Matt Smith. Where do you think he came? Probably about third, fourth. Lee, who was your first choice? It was Tom. Where do you think he came? First or second. And That's my first choice, I think I gave Peter Capaldi first choice. Mm. And I think he came... <laughs> <laughs> uh, not to spoil things too much, you all had very good guesses. <clears throat> Although you all gave two choices, 
and one of them was right and the other one was wrong, oh. just to maintain a little bit of mystery for the listeners. Okay, <clears throat> if Pearl became sixth, I'm leaving. And this is my house, so that's quite a threat. <laughs> yeah, but we were planning, despite the fact that we're at your house, we were planning to do the podcast without you tonight anyway. So it's, so you might think of it as a threat, but we just think of it as, you know, manifest destiny, really. Before you go, what's the Wi-Fi code? <laughs> what's the Wi-Fi watted? Wi-Fi code. Oh, Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi code. Mm. I'm assuming that code is a euphemism. All right, in ninth place, with 12.6% of the vote available to him, Peter Davison. Oh. Now, see, I don't know whether to be surprised that he's higher than I would have expected or lower than mm. I would have expected. Uh, I think that's he's a, an uncontroversial doctor, so... Probably that's a that's an expression of his uncontroversial. Well, yeah. going by our ages, he's kind of a. I mean, he's my doctor, as far as age. Yeah. Is it yeah. that? Is it that kind of? Well, I think for a lot of people, he's sort of like in a sort of top three type but situation. You've got, a, you've got a lot of heavyweight personalities coming up. You know, people that are larger than life, bigger, make more an impression when you're a kid. Um, you know, you walk away with, with kind of quotes from them. Well, you've got I mean, two how, of those, how Lee. Many He's in ninth just, place. How many people do you... Would, who, who, you know, who quotes Peter Davison on a regular basis? On a daily basis? When you go That's what I'm shops, saying. He's, <clears throat> he is potentially Pretty so hard. bland that he should have been the bottom of the list. Right. For his era, maybe. And for the character they gave him to play as the Doctor. But conversely, he's so popular an actor in the role that he could have come in the top yeah, five very, very quite likeable. easily. Yeah. He could easily have been in top five and he could easily have been outside the top ten. Yeah. So actually, ninth I think it's probably a good balance for yeah. that, but mm. it just feels wrong. It just feels like he should either have gone one way or the other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's definitely a sign of what you were saying about McCoy and his sort of renaissance. Yeah. Renaissance. That's, That's still not the word I was looking oh, okay. for. There is a word I was looking for, but I can't think what it was. But but reevaluation is basically yes. it. Mm-hmm. So Peter Davison, I mean, as a consensus here, because I mean, I've never liked his Doctor. I've never liked his tenure. There are, I like him as an actor. I think he's great in other things. I just think he's terrible in Doctor Who. And I think there's two or three great stories, but I think on mass the Peter Davison era is one of the series' low points. <clears throat> but I mean, what does everybody else think? It's all, it's all um, nostalgia for me. <clears throat> I think it is. They're not. <coughs> I love the fact that he became the Doctor at the time. Yeah. He was a young Doctor. Loved his outfit. Yeah, it's all, <coughs> it's all a bit quite shallow, really. It's a, you know, looking back now, that's, that's different eras, isn't it? At the time of watching it, I thought it was great. You know, ten years later, still thought it was relatively good because it's nostalgic. Twenty years later, nostalgia was holding it on, but it's really nice with realizing those cracks. You come to this podcast, you deconstruct the entire Peter Davison era and his entire face, and you work out that it wasn't actually that great. <coughs> but also, like Night of the Doctor, time crash yeah. brings him back into the whole. Yeah, and a great version frame. of him actually, and, yeah. and the versions on Big Finish of him. Especially in the recent years, I really, really like. Mm. I think mm. they're much better. They're much more first think, doctorish. I don't think Time Crash works quite as well for Davison as it did for McGann because Nobody the does. McGann one was a surprise. It tops up the nostalgia tanks quite nicely. It does a bit, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. But, I mean, people knew it was coming. And also, it has David Tennant in it, which kind of um, shares the, the, the success factor out a little bit. Whereas the McGann one was like, here's McGann, shock. Mm-hmm. And that's like a like an electric charge up the backside of fandom, really, that the uh, Night mm-hmm. of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Matt, Peter Davison. I think there are four or five good Peter Davison stories. Um, but I would be tempted at this point to dare you to name them. Um, okay. And if you say Maldrin Undead, you really are leaving the room. I wasn't. Tell me, it's Terminus, isn't it? That's in Case of Androzani is, is good. Kind is good. Snake Dance is good. Um, the Awakening is really good. Enlightenment. Um, yeah, and Enlightenment is really good. And actually, I think that Castrobalba is quite good as well. So that's six. Even without The Awakening, which I'm aware is my own. <laughs> but but <laughs> even, even with the words... So he was given unprom- unpromising material to perform. But he always did... He always gave it his all. I like oh, his he did. I think his For performance sure. was like really... Particularly if you look at outtakes... From, mm. from his yeah. doctorship, you can see when he sort of turns on the seriousness and the, mm. and the intensity and then switches to top. He just wasn't given the material that he needed. But he was in some, I mean... And he wasn't given good directors either. I think that was 90% of his problem. But Caves of Androzani, whether, you, whether it's, you know, what yeah, you yeah, think yeah. of his doctor or not, that was good material. And oh, it yeah, was good I'm direction. not arguing with that. And it was, it was his opportunity to, to really kind of shine... And I think that's that's what I would go on as an indication of the Doctor. Right, should we move on to the Doctor who came in eighth? Okay. With, and this again is a bit of a jump, 17.2% of the available vote. So first on the William Hartnell. Really? That's understandable. Yeah, I'm surprised he's as high as he is because Hartnell Mm. has always tended to do badly in polls. Mm. Because... Because he's the unformed Doctor. Patrick Troughton really invents Doctor as we know him. So William Hartnell's performance... Well, William Hartnell's performance has always been regarded as being at odds with pretty much everything that came since. But actually, I think maybe the thing that's helped is the fact that they're all out on DVD now. Mm-hmm. And... There's actually fair amount, especially in the first two series, of William Hartnell surviving. And if you actually get into it, the sort of memories that people had of William Hartnell as being this Doctor at odds with the rest of the Doctors ain't quite as true as you think of it. Because actually he's not as crotchety and as grouchy and as temperamental as you think. And a lot of the time, especially once Vicky arrives in the TARDIS. Mm. He's quite a he's quite a sort of cuddly granddad figure with spiky edges. Mm. And let's face it, Tom Baker and well all the others, cuddly grandfathers or uncles with spiky edges is pretty much what defines the doctor. So I think maybe a little bit here, what you're getting then is another reevaluation of William Hartnell as a doctor who maybe isn't so different from all the others after all. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think there's a bit of a reappraisal of William Hartnell going on since the sort of DVD So you're surprised that it's higher in the list, then? Well, higher. I'm surprised that it's higher, given that historically Hartnell's always done badly. Right. But actually mm. thinking about it now and looking at what the possible reasons are, yeah, I think it's 
it's perhaps fitting. I wonder whether it'll go up after this Christmas. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> Even though it's not William Hartnell, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, but it does. I don't know. I mean, he'll get... So Hartnell will get legacy votes for being the first. Mm. But yes. his stories are difficult. His stories okay. are difficult. They're not as as kind of instantly engaging as anything from, say, The War Machines onwards or Power of the Daleks onwards. And you also, with with um, with Troughton, you still have interviews with him. He came back, so you have the three doctors, the five doctors, the two doctors. So he's much more of a, mm. a kind of a yeah, an accessible figure. Whereas Hartnell, you've got that one interview where he comes across a bit of a even that only turned up about three years yeah, yeah, ago, right? Exactly, and that's it. So I don't know. I, I wouldn't vote him very high. No, depressingly. And the vote, he, the votes he would get is just legacy votes, just votes because he's an important figure and because yeah, he's yeah. a good and because yeah. he's a good act. Legacy votes? Did you just make that up? Yeah, that's really good. Thanks. Yeah. All right. I was looking on. for a phrase. <laughs> okay. And you found it. Um, in seventh place. Trademark. In seventh place, just but with twenty point four percent of the vote. I mean, he's literally. A fraction of a vote behind the one in front of him, but in seventh place on twenty point four percent is sorry, Matt uh, Simon. What? Pertwee? Oh no, 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 Sylvester McCoy. McCoy. Oh, <laughs> oh no, Pertwee's one of the giants of the series. Yeah, like a lighthouse, like a big bird. Yeah, <laughs> Mark, like, Mark like a big Cochran bird doing a Margaret Mark Rutherford Cochran. impression. <laughs> so if what Mark was here, yeah. he'd be having kittens. He would. Um, good. <laughs> he's he's not here. We're not here to, to talk about Pertwee just yet. <laughs> Sylvester it's McCoy. All, it's all Pertwee for him. We're on in. Sylvester McCoy, I do think now that people think of him, not everybody, but there's a school of thought that's increasing in size that's thinking of Sylvester McCoy as not necessarily one of the great actors who's played the part, but maybe as one of the better personalities and one of the more appropriate personalities who's played the part, and that his three years, including season 24, which I think is starting to get a bit of a reappraisal as well. I know from me, but from other people but too. Do you, I but think. do you think it's the stories that were being more daring and interesting, and actually some parts were like Ace being introduced? Well, this is what I was getting is, to, is, yeah. The Rose but I think McCoy is, part, McCoy, McCoy is part of that, I think, because he's yeah. surprisingly countercultural, kind of anarchic influence on the Clowny. series I think yeah and I don't think great stories work if you've got a seriously deficient doctor I think great stories can only work if the actor who's playing the doctor is at least living up to them but these stories these stories wouldn't work with Peter Davison Peter Davison needed fairly solid consistent action stories for his doctor to work mm. but McCoy can get away with like stories like Delta and the Bannermen and Ghostlight well, there is an ethos of punk rock that runs through the Sylvester McCoy era. Mm. Of this, I mean, despite, you know, obviously things like there being jazz in one story and whatever else in another. But the ethos of the Sylvester McCoy is that he turns up and thumbs his nose at the establishment. Mm. And they tell lots of stories where there's an establishment for Sylvester McCoy to turn up and, you know, sex pistols out on or whatever. Mm. But I, I mean, I feel like I should... 
really, really love Sylvester McCoy more than more than I should. And I think throughout the podcast, two hundred and fifty podcasts, now and again, I've I've changed and switched views. And at the moment, I'm on a bit of a negative, I think, because I really like what you're saying about the character himself, the whole clown aspect of outside of the box, coming in, thinking, you know, manipulating people, uh, testing people's beliefs, talking to people, using talk to make people, you know, turn to peace and that sort of thing. Great, great ideas. I just don't think he had the acting chops for it at that stage. I think he has now, and he, he had in the movie, in fact, from then on. Mm. But I really, really don't... I, as I look at him, this I whole see thing him when you watch an, him, you can, you're, you're, you can kind of... Funny, you can yeah. relate to this, you can hear the cogs whirring while I, you're watching him do it. <laughs> but I do, I, exactly. I think he's thinking about what he should be doing next. He also doesn't have much of a presence of an idea of how his face looks on, on screen mm. at that point. I know he's Or really, how his voice sounds, even. Yeah, or his voice. He doesn't quite know how to... Are you thinking of the, the moment in Battlefield where he's holding the scabbard? Yeah. No, he's holding the scabbard. Yeah. And it starts, like, trembling. Yeah. And then his face just turns into some sort of... Like bulldog wrinkly. Yeah, but he is yeah. a he is a great clown. He's a, I, th- yeah. I love him in everything else I've seen him in. I, for some <laughs> reason, Doctor Who just didn't ever mm. feel like the right thing for him. And I, I have reappraised him. I did like him for a period. Though. This is yeah, this is all right. But, I think for me, um, for me, the story is rescuing every year. One Sylvester McCoy story improves for me. So now it's almost season twenty-four. I would never get time in Irani because that is an awful story. But season 24 is slowly kind of getting there. I don't think he's a great actor by any stretch no, of the imagination. I think he got it by season I don't 24. think he's as bad as people think he is. And I think he gets away with it a lot. Hmm. So when I say get away with it, what I mean is you can watch those stories and despite the fact that he's not a great actor in them, he's not spoiling the stories. I don't think he is, uh, most no. of the time. No, I don't think so. I think the time in the Rani, everything about that's wrong. Well, let's forget time in the Rani. Yeah, yeah, talk about... It's a funny thing when he became the Doctor, because I was always a massive fan of his, in all his, yeah, his comedy was, work. His Ken stuff Campbell. In, in Jigsaw and Vision On and things like that. You know, he was quite mad, and quite Spike Milligan at times, yeah. and, and, and odd, and I kind and of hoped to see more of that Yeah, and you always think, yeah, he's, he should be the... He's got moments where he goes, and stuff like that. And, and I wanted to see more of that. Yeah, but that's like I, taking I think John Pertwee. Like, ba- like serious Batman bores me. Yeah, it's, it's like getting, getting John Pertwee, who's a comedy actor, and then he turns it serious. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't know how long people liked that in the 70s, whether or not they liked it for his full tenure, all started to think, oh, kind of missing that. No, I, I, don't know, I think they liked that. Yeah. 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 I'll, so, I'll, yeah. I think it's probably quite a sensible okay. thing if you're a comic actor to, I mean, it's your opportunity to yeah. demonstrate your serious acting ability. Yeah, which I didn't guess. seem to work. Not quite. I'm afraid. Towards the quite. end, maybe. I mean, Peter Jackson liked him. Curse of... I was going to say Curse of the Pirates, then. That's not... <laughs> Curse of Fenwick? Curse of Fenwick. Curse of Fenwick, yeah. That's that's the one I kind of thought he was doing rather well in. Yeah. And um, well, Ghostlight, he's really good. And Ghostlight, He, he doesn't yeah. have any but kind so, of odd moments. I don't know. I don't know. There are no shouty bits in no, Ghostlight. No. Yeah, Battlefield. Yeah. Yeah, Battlefield. I'm yeah, not. Battlefield's a great rash. story, spoiled by like maybe three moments in the entire sort of four episodes. Yeah, it's just that those three moments are the moments that people remember because mm. they're the important points. <laughs> Boom! Right, we've got eleven minutes to get through the top six. <laughs> 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 uh, who couldn't have guessed that this was going to happen? Right. <laughs> All right, in sixth place, 
And this one is a shock, and he only just narrowly beat Sylvester McCoy by one point, giving him 20.7% of the vote available to him. In sixth place, absolute shocker, I think, David Tennant. Ah. Ah. That's where I shocked myself that he wasn't in my top, my top five. David yeah. Tennant he is the... If you'd have, if you'd have sat any of us down and asked us to predict how this poll would go, as opposed to how we would like it to go, you would have thought, we'd have said, well, it'll be Tom Baker and David Tennant vying for the top spot, won't it? I think, I think David, so I, well, maybe, but I think David Tennant's now... uh, If the vote had been slightly wider, maybe. I think David Tennant's now at that position where it's, he's not old enough to be a nostalgia thing, but he's distant enough to have been superseded by other people. Yeah. So now he's in that awkward place. Probably he doesn't care because you know, oh, well, no, he's, he he's in that place oh, he where he's, he's now going down before he goes back so, up. So when he was a doctor for, for the for at least three quarters of his time, he was a big hitter. Yeah, and everyone yeah, adored yeah. it. And it was big mm-hmm. telly and all that sort of thing. And it's like that last little section where you suddenly become aware that there are only so many modes to his doctor. Well, that happened to me halfway through series three, yeah. but mm. I know what you're saying. Yeah, but I don't think that's damaging. I think that's. Mm. I think it's just that the reasons he was a big hitter at the time, the people who would have voted for him at the time now don't vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, there's still this huge RTD versus Stephen Moffat thing, and there are still people, a lot of people, who are saying they should bin the likes of Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi's doctors, not necessarily the actors, but the doctors, and get back to a David Tennant-style doctor. I just think the programmes moved on. Mm. And it, hit, it hit the right time. It needed yeah. that energy and that, you know, it was the zeitgeist, everything about it. When you look at it, it was that, that period has already become a fashion that's passed. The Casanova type of style of acting and all that and the way that the BBC were doing things. You can already see this out there. The Christopher Eccleston series feels really dated all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So that's moved on. Uh, even Matt Smith's stuff now, I'm starting to look at and thinking, oh, wow, that was you know, almost 10 years ago or whatever. It does feel... Like we move on and we change, and you're right, we're in that strange place where we've it's been superseded by two very good actors mm. with different takes on the on the role. So well, yeah. I'll tell you something else as well. David Tennant, despite the fact that obviously he's massively popular, and obviously there are some people who think he's the definitive idea of what modern Doctor Who should be doing, but I think in a slightly more general sense, David Tennant is the Doctor for people who don't necessarily like Doctor Who. And for Doctor Who fans are going to prefer the other modern Doctors who are more the idea, their idea of what the Doctor should be. So David Tennant is like this wide boy who's appeared in the TARDIS for four years and who's kicked the Doctor out and taken his place a bit. He's definitely a popular Not for everybody, but... That's necessarily the case. I mean, obviously, because each of these... He's probably the more extreme of somebody who's doing something different with the role. Um, I don't think it's as extreme as it being not doctorish, though. I think he's doctorish, but he's kind of like a pop star doctor. Yeah, like Shakespeare in the Shakespeare Code, mm. David Tennant in uh, yeah. Doctor mm. Who. He's he's not Shakespeare in the Shakespeare Code is not not Shakespeare, mm. but he's not the classic idea of Shakespeare. But actually, that is addressed as well in the series, which is quite clever. Isn't it? You you do get those moments where his um, arrogance and his ego is punctured pretty nicely by Queen Victoria 
you know, and waters and miles and all these other things. So you get, you do get his arrogance, which it c- comes across as in the end. But obviously, it's addressed in the series. I wonder if people would think the same of Pertwee. So I wonder if David Tennant's trajectory is the same as Pertwee. And that, and that be... when Pertwee was in it, it's completely new, fresh. He's doing like Something judo throws, mm-hmm. action, pompous. And then it's after he leaves mm. and given a bit of time after Tom Baker, Peter Davison, maybe he's reassessed and they just think that wasn't very doctorish of him. He was too Tory. He was too pompous. And then later on he'll come he, back. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. I just think that among... Because there's a certain historic thing. Pertwee was before a lot of Doctor Who fans... So they've come to him retrospectively, mm. or he was during their childhood. So they experienced him before they realised the sort of historical relevancy of where he was. So when you come to Pertwee, you think of his doctor as established. So you think of him as being doctorish, regardless of whether he's actually being doctorish or not. Mm. Whereas for this very same people, if David Tennant's not behaving very doctorishly, they see the non-doctorishness. And so they vote, say, Pertwee higher than they would Tennant, even though, to all intents and purposes, Tennant's actually more doctory than Pertwee was. Yeah. Mm. But they, but you just don't see that, or you don't appreciate it, necessarily. Mm. Right, mm. in order to get through in the next, now, three minutes, <laughs> let's get on with the next one, shall we? Sixth place on 26% of the vote. That's another bit of a jump. Do you want to say what you think it might be, Matt? Is it Pertwee? It is, in sixth place. Okay. Just outside the top five. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a we su- can't all be winners, Matt. <laughs> per- Pertwee can. <laughs> it's, a su- it's a slight surprise, but it's not. And you've yeah, just given yeah. one of the reasons why, yeah, yeah. which is that he's slightly not doctorish. Yes. If yeah. you're being objective about it. Yeah. But the main reason is... He has come fifth because he's got two new old series and two new series doctors ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And any vote of, and who knows, because this is really, really small sample. But imagine our small sample is split, relatively speaking, along lines that are going to give the classic series and the new series more or less an equal number of votes. You would end up with two old and two new doctors at the top. So Pertwee's actually come in third of the classic Doctors, right? Yeah. And when you consider the other two Doctors we've not talked about yet, Pertwee's never going to come higher than third. No. So actually fifth is probably... Sixth. Sixth, sorry. Oh, no, he's come in behind five other Doctors, hasn't he? Yeah. Oh, right, everything I've just said, forget it. Who was the other one? Hang on. Well, we'll find out in a minute, won't we? We'll get to it. (laughs) We'll get to it. Okay. Stop thinking about it, but we'll get to it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, in that case, a slight surprise. But even so, around about that spot is probably where Oh, Matt can't help himself now. You'll find out in, like, seconds. Okay. But around about that spot... I didn't think you cared. (laughs) I do care. I care about this. I don't care about the percentage system or or Synth Rock (laughs) or Top of the Pops title sequences or Kojak. I care about Doctor Who. Maybe you just don't understand. I don't understand. Oh no, I've said it wrong. He is fifth. What am I talking about? There are four doctors above him. 
Oh, okay. So forget oh, everything I just said after everything I just said. <laughs> He's coming fifth. What am I talking about? Oh, okay. Great. Yeah, so scroll back on your iPod. And I mean, the, the vote I... So, his, so, so let I, me do this, yes. just for the record, because obviously I... Are we going from 14 to 5? No, I'll just say, 10th <laughs> was Paul McGann, 9th so Peter Paul McGann, Davison, I think. 8th... Are we, are we not let starting me just again? Do the, I thought we were going back to the beginning and starting no. again. I'm just going to read the top 10 as far as we are, so that, oh, okay. just to make sure. <laughs> Paul McGann is 10th. Davison nine, Hartnell eight, McCoy seven, Tennant six, and Pertwee five. Okay. There we go. Yes. Because when you said you should be fifth or sixth, yeah. and if he wasn't yeah. fifth, so, you'd be walking out. So I, I thought, damn, he's staying put. So I would, <laughs> I would, I would have voted Tom Baker and Peter Davison above him, obviously. Or th- th- I would have voted two other doctors above him. Sorry, I'm not giving away. But I think the vote, the vote I gave John Pertwee was a personality vote. I voted because. Did you mean Patrick Troughton rather than Peter Davison? Yes. Okay, I think you said Peter Davison, or maybe I, I just misheard. Mis- no, I didn't vote Peter Davison above John Pertwee. Well, that's, that's why it's sure. madness. Says. You did yeah. say that. Though. I that's did, yes, but I would be wrong. <laughs> Let's. Can we talk about John Pertwee instead of yes, Peter so Davison I, and Tom Baker? So I would have voted. I would. I voted for John Pertwee because of his personality. I voted for John Pertwee, not for the Third Doctor. So it's that kind of. Well, that's know. the wrong vote. Did that's, I ever, a, that's a different game. Did I ever mention when I about the story about when I met John Pertwee? No. Yes, I'm sure I did. We were in the uh, we were in the library. I said no. Give you a chance to say again. Oh, it was backstage. <laughs> at a, I tried at to his, give it. It is one man show, and I went with my dad. I was 14. Right. And Pertwee sat me on his knee. <laughs> he didn't. Um, said, I was about that then. And he was, he, he smelled of cigarettes and he was drinking Coca-Cola. And we had a conversation about how he, how much he enjoyed filming at Wookie Hole. And I was trying to... And you said, I was about that then. I was trying to, I was, because I thought only Tom Baker had filmed at Wookie Hole. So I was about to say only Tom Baker filmed at Wookie Hole. You're oh. mistaken. I didn't know about the mutants. So there we go. You obviously should story. have. You're obviously not a big enough fan. I got my copy of the, the Demons autographed. I got John Pertwee's autograph once and gave it away. Did you? Yeah. That was probably silly, wasn't it? Yeah. Because actually that autograph is probably worth a little bit of money. I don't know mm. if it's worth a lot, but... Mm. I've just never been anybody who's interested in autographs. So when somebody said to me, you've got John Pertwee's autograph, I said, yeah, you are. I like I like the autographs because it reminds me of when I... Met, met them? them? Yeah. I didn't need that like to remind me when I met somebody. I tend to shake people's hands and talk to them for a bit. It's quite nice. Yeah. That's that's all that's needed. Yeah. But what they really want to do is flog you some <laughs> signatures. Well, yeah, I've, never, yeah, yeah. I've never paid for a uh, for an autograph. Haven't you? No. Because I... Not what, not watched, are they? No, I just stopped. I, 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 I was getting my autographs at the time when they didn't charge for No, them. that's right. Yeah, they didn't charge once upon a time. And I'm looking at Exeter Comic Con... And John Leeson is selling an autograph for ten pounds. You and I've got John Leeson's autograph on K Nine Company, like edition of K Nine Company. Well, so like, I wait until they're not looking, and then wait until they've got the pen like in their hand, right, and then just I sneaking. just move my book yeah. under the book under yeah. the pen. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you did at the last convention. Yeah, <laughs> got told off. <laughs> I tell you, the easiest way to get away without paying for autographs <laughs> is to run a convention, isn't it? That's true, actually. Oh, we've overrun. Right, I'm going to save the top four for the next week. Okay. So, I'm not four. Okay. I'm not going to really save four for next week. There's number four, mate. Okay, top four now. So, 
And again, this is a bit of a jump. 29.8%. Is it up from last the... week? Sorry? Is it up from last week? Yes. Enough about his personal life. <laughs> no, I'm saying about how close they came to each other. Because there, there were some that sort of came quite close to yeah. each other and there some <clears throat> came that were... Basically, it kind of... Number one was way ahead. Number two was way ahead of number three. And then after that, the jumps quite get close. slightly smaller. But the top two are like way out there, way, way, way ahead of anybody else. And mm. the one who came in fourth, actually, with 29.8%, as I started to um, add the votes up, after about the first five or six people, he was way out ahead. And I thought, hang on, are we going to get some really weird, serious upset here? But then, you know, as the votes started to come in and it started to even itself out, he dropped down. But it's Matt Smith. Came in fourth. No. Why is that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm supposed to be acting like I don't care, aren't I? No, you just, you <laughs> just did. A, you did Sylvester McCoy level of acting there. <laughs> no. <laughs> Rotten. <laughs> would you have wanted him higher? Yes, I would. I love Matt Smith, but I think fourth probably is. Uh, I hesitate to say about right. Because I think, for me, he'd be in the top three. Mm. But we'll talk about why when we get to number one. But I think, actually, of the... Doc- I think fourth is about as high as you'd expect him to be able to get. Because the three above him are like sacred cows, essentially. Mm. For one reason or another. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Matt, cows. sometimes you turn into a five-year-old. No, I just, I just thought of a massive insult. To John Pertwee? No, 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 no. To everyone. Yeah. <laughs> to some of the bottom placed ones. They're just cows. <laughs> I like Matt Smith, but I think fourth is probably fair. It's probably a fair place, <clears throat> fair position for him. But yeah, I, 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 pref- I think so. Too. I, I think. Prefer, I think he's my favourite new Doctor mm. from from the new series. I think he probably he was my favourite new Doctor at the time. But I think the issue with Matt Smith is that they did something that you'd be more likely to get in a classic series with him in that they didn't really do any character development on him. Mm. And while that's that's absolutely what you'd expect from the first five of the classic series <clears> doctors, <throat> maybe give or take Hartnell, actually, but certainly from Trout through to Peter Davison, you don't really get character development. One thing I see in him that I don't see in other doctors quite the same it's a subtlety. Because um, I was thinking about to tell well, my favourite my it? favourite moment of Tennant is human nature, obviously, mm. where you always all of a sudden see involved. He's not even playing the doctor. Oh god, I don't think there's any subtlety at all in human nature. I think his performance is that is so over the top. Um, so mannered. Yeah, maybe subtle's not the right word, but um, I, I suppose yeah, emotion then is maybe a better word. But there's some subtlety that you see in Matt Smith's performance. There's bits where the camera goes right on his face and they bring his voice right up and he's literally whispering and saying something really gently and it's so powerful. But this this is what I like about Matt as well, that you get that whisper side of him, but you've got that massive balletic, balletic is the word, Mm. you know, kind of performance as well, which is huge. Which could be... Which could be Tennant. Tennant, couldn't it? Yeah, it could be. So he's got the entire range he doesn't annoy you too much. He does it. He he just it's it it 
comes out of it like it's a part of him. Yeah, but I think it only really came out after, it series, play... after series five. Mm-hmm. I thought I at least the first four or five, you had his feet running, he was definitely the Doctor, but there were elements there that he wasn't quite, he mm-hmm. was still finding his way a bit. But definitely by the end of series five, there was the Doctor, there was a new Doctor. Pretty quickly, I think. I think in general, he was firing all cylinders right up to his last story. Yeah, and his last like story, the only gives... story I can think of where he wasn't <clears throat> was Rings of Akhaten. And, that, and that's not actually like the that. story that I dislike about it. It's, it's, it's his story, performance, though, really, to be honest. Mm. I think his story, story. Yeah, I think the same thing happens in Nightmare and Silver. Actually, okay. I think Matt Smith doesn't like acting, or grew to not like acting against green screens. And actually, I think his big moment in the um, Pandorica opens when he's acting to the sky in a big green screen. I don't think he's as good in that actually as some people seem to think he is. I think green screens and Matt Smith are because conversely, I think you put him against a child. And you look at the opening of the 11th hour, and he is just wonderful, mm. absolutely amazing. That's mm. probably about in that scene mm. with um, Caitlin Blackwood, mm. is that her name? Mm. I think that's about as good as anybody's ever been on camera as Doctor Who. Mm. Um, but like I say, I don't think the character really went anywhere because the story was about Amy and Rory, really. Mm. And by the time they got to Series 7, the story didn't really develop at all, and and there were it, so, it was only when he lost Amy and Rory that you get this sudden melancholy setting, mm. just like David Tennant, in order to change who he is a little bit to make him more interesting for the viewer. But it's a character, again. but it's not so much a sort of narrative development as just change. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a simple switch, really, isn't it? I suppose. Tell you what, what, what performances from someone that age? Outrageous. Oh yeah. Um, and speaking of Matt Smith, the oh, I don't want that. The Doctor Who came in third with thirty-two point three percent of the vote available to him. So he got about a third of. Well, okay. Let's talk about the logic of it. <clears throat> I've said that. If this vote is split between new and old, and I've said two of the doctors are absolutely way ahead of anybody else, so who Tr- must this be? Troughton. Yeah. <laughs> it's Patrick Troughton. That's yeah. what I said under my breath. I was saying that. <laughs> which, which makes perfect sense because. Because there's he's, one he's unassailable. Not, he's not the latest doctor, and he's not Tom Baker. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> so. So that sort of. That kind of makes sense of where he is. I, I disagree though. But I don't disagree in the way the vote's gone. Although, I, I think the reason Tom Baker is in the top two is because he's Tom Baker, yeah. regardless yeah. of his performance, which we'll talk about in a minute. I think the reason Capaldi's in the top two is not because he's the latest Doctor, but because of all the modern Doctors, he's the one who's given the most rounded of performances and the performance that is equally at home with fans of both the classic and the new series. So coming back to Patrick Troughton, I actually think he ought to be in the top two. But this was, for both the reasons you've given and perhaps the reason I've given, as high as he could possibly get. So yeah. it's good to see him getting yeah. that high. Yeah. This is, yeah. you know, yeah. this, this is the Doctor who, in spite of what I said about William Hartnell earlier, this is the Doctor who 
all the subsequent doctors have known from. Mm. And most of them have even cited him, you know what I mean? Yeah, Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and Peter Davison cited mm. him, and I'm sure he's been cited by others as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the doctor who took, you know, f- for whatever reason, and not maybe necessarily that it, he certainly wasn't thinking about this, this is what I need to do, but probably subconsciously, he's the doctor who took the format of the series and said, right, here's what you need to do to make it something that's sustainable. And he made it something sustainable. It's interesting because he, 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 he puts on a clown, clowny performance. And, um, you, you know, with Sylvester McCoy, you think, well, how come Sylvester McCoy didn't get it right in the way that Patrick Tran did? And that's because he's such a good actor. Because yeah. he's an actor playing a clown as opposed to a clown doing an actor. But he's a surprisingly, surprisingly unclown like. For all people, mm. call him I think that's clown. probably because most of his sort of no, he is. Yeah, I think I mean, it's because most of his more clownish episodes are missing. Oh, I, I don't mean as in as in antics of jumping in the air, holding your bum, and a, a bum goes off. Mm. But generally speaking, his whole face, uh, you know, that even even the subtlety that a clown yeah. is a complicated business. When you're a clown, it's very serious. There's lots of things about Patrick Tran that he does with his face right, uh, okay. and certain expressions and certain ways that he, he looks at people and says mm. things. Okay. And and it's just in the script, <coughs> you know, he looks that way towards fruit bowl. Oh, he looks that way over there, says something and picks up fruit and goes, ooh, fruit. Right. But that may not have been in the script. He might have just added that in. It's the way that he does it. It's the kind of turning on a, on a penny. You didn't get that kind of acting, I don't think, in the 60s with any mm. character. Really, that good. Well, he yeah, and in establishing what you do with Doctor Who, he's the one who established that you come in and you take the lines that are on the page and you spin on them. Yeah, Mm. and ever ever since then, Pertwee's lines are essentially the same as Troughton's were and as Hartnell's were, Mm. and Pertwee comes to it and he plays it with this sort of pomposity. Yeah, but I can, you know, people will often say, "Oh, I couldn't imagine any of the other Doctors saying." X or Y or Z or whatever, but Pertwee's line about old what's his face at the club or whatever it is the line. Tubby Rollins. Tubby Rollins at the club. I'm a, I can never remember lines. I can totally and utterly imagine Trout and saying that, but giving it such a different performance that it would mean something <laughs> entirely different. I'm laughing already. He never said it. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? This is and this is what Trout established as that the actor comes in and plays those lines with a character that isn't in the lines but that you bring to the lines mm-hmm. and I think and and that's not why he's come third mm-hmm. he's come third because he did such a charismatic job of it but but that is the change that he made upon the programme I think amazing should we do number two okay right number two is obviously Peter Capaldi mm-hmm. and he got 51.6% of mm-hmm. the available vote that is mm. pretty high. So, Peter Capaldi, I've already said what I think. I think it's because, I think it's because of the modern doctors, Peter Capaldi, he's the one who's most acceptable to the classic series fans. They see more of the classic series in him than they do in any of the others, including in Matt Smith, who is fairly similar, really, to Patrick Troughton, right? But I think Peter Capaldi, and sometimes it's been ostentatious, right? There have been moments where he's actually done impersonations of Pertwee and Tom Baker and Hartnell as well. I think they've been in, imper- but in between the impersonations, he's actually just embodied, in the same way as sort of John Hurt was doing in the fiftieth yeah. anniversary, mm. 
for the fans to sort of have a classic series counterpoint to the new Doctors. But Peter Capaldi has taken that and he's made a whole three series out of it, right? Mm. I think so. And so I think that of the modern Doctors, he's the one that it's easiest for classic series fans to vote for. He also had a bit of a journey, didn't he? Like you were saying that Matt Smith didn't. Yeah. Um, in that first series being trying to just trying to work himself out. Why why was he given all these lives again, you know? What what makes him so special? He was really grumpy about having a new set of lives, which confused me. But I thought it was really quite interesting that near, right at the end he just said See, I thought basically, that was perfectly logical, but go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah. But it, uh, yeah, maybe. But at the end, obviously, he turns around and goes, I'm just an idiot in a box. I'm just a madman with a box, and that's that's what I do. And he suddenly accepts himself as being that huge child again. And then he just gets on with being the doctor. Gets on with being the doctor. Except, of course, in series nine, where he was supposed to be getting on with being the doctor, and I've said this so many times, we see all these serious bits and none of the fun bits. Mm. Mm. I mean, we do see a few of the fun bits, but not nearly as many as we should have Mm. in order to sell the idea. That he'd, um, yeah. that he'd had this okay. moment of self-realisation. But still in fa- inspire that, yeah. There's a journey. Series 8, he's in one place. Series 9, he's somewhere else. Series, series 10, he's somewhere. somewhere else again. And that... Beautifully. Yeah, and so he appeals to the classic series fans. But the new series fans actually get something of what David Tennant had. In that it's like a three-year journey where he goes very definitely from a point A to a point B. So I think he's easy for the new series fans to vote for as well. Mm-hmm. And being older, possibly, is also the point that against yeah. David Tennant and Matt Smith, he's the one who stands out. He's got all the gravitas. Yeah. Because it's perfectly feasible that Matt Smith and David Tennant divided one another's votes, right? In this sort of thing. So there, there you go. Any... Anybody else, or should we have a little drum roll and uh, no actual drum roll because you'll upset the microphone, right? You could almost you could almost do an entire podcast on who came number one. Well, we have done in the past. Have you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we will do again because our lineup and our thinking is, and probably our listenership has changed since we did. So maybe we should do the doctors again at some you point. We're saying yeah. you've lost a few tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so much for loyal. Only, only the intelligent one. On the subject, though, he got 66% of the vote that was available to him, which is, you know, considering if it had been a vote of only classic series fans, it had probably been like 80 or 90%. But considering that we've had the new series, Mm. to still get 66% is quite remarkable. Yeah. That 66% are pleased that Sharda is the next animated. (laughs) Well, quite. I don't actually think it's deserved. I think Tom Baker lives, and I don't mean him as a person lives on his reputation, but I mean his standing within the canon lives on his reputation rather than it lives on the actual performance. Yeah, he's an enigma. Well, he starts to become a self-parody as early as probably season 14. It was just beginning to creep in. Season 15, it starts to really unleash itself. Yeah. Season 16, they pull back on it slightly, but by the end of the series, and things like Power of Kroll and Armageddon Factor, it's so bedded in that by season 17, he's completely lost yeah, the plot. Yeah, but those first seasons are so... 
But that's what I'm saying. He's he it completely kind of eclipses. Yeah, so just, just the respect me. for him lives off yeah. basically two to three of seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is ridiculous when you think about it. But you know, it's three years, which is around about the average for most of the other doctors. Three to four years, mm. which you know, of good stuff. A very good, well, very good yeah. stuff. Yeah. If I'd have actually split it and said Tom Baker seventy five to seventy seven and Tom Baker seventy seven to eighty, yes, Tom Baker seventy seven to eighty would probably have come a fair way down. Yeah, you know, in spite of the fact that some people love it and some people love the stories, in spite of what Tom Baker was doing and all mm. these other things, and some people obviously love season eighteen. Myself, I'm not a fan because I think he's just too somber. Mm. Yeah, but he's exactly <clears throat> where he should be though. Yeah, well, he's where he was always going to end up. Yeah, because he's the best. <clears throat> when when I like I say when I was starting to add the votes up and the first five or six came in and Matt Smith was runaway leader and Tom Baker was at this point like third or fourth place behind Capaldi. It was Smith and Capaldi, I think, who were leading it off. What did you say was your number one? Peter Capaldi. Right. Yeah, Tom Baker is for me. Tom Baker is. The one who was my favourite doctor before I, I can't think of any other way to phrase it. Before I was old enough to know better. Before Tom, I so Tom, Baker, be... Tom Baker was my favourite doctor until I was old enough to know better. Then Patrick Troughton was my favourite doctor, and then Tom Baker became my favourite doctor again because I knew better after you know him better. Well, that's I what just I mean. Decided that it was ridiculous to deny the fact that Genius. whenever somebody asked me who's my favourite doctor. I kind of don't go, oh, definitely Tom Baker. I just went, well, Tom Baker, I guess. <laughs> because it's kind of... But for see, I can't yeah. not think of Tom Baker seasons 15, 16, 17 and 18. And there are four of those where there's only three of the others. And I think... I think my way of experiencing Tom Baker, because I, my earliest memories were of Tom Baker... Just so I've got that's kind of my childhood nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. But when I started getting the videos, it was pretty much early Tom Baker. I, was, mm. I got Pyramids of Mars was the first video I video of anything I think I own, <laughs> and so I've got late Tom Baker fixed into my nostalgia and my personal memories. My first memory of being alive is City of Death. That's my earliest memory of anything is City of Death, and then my first experience of old Doctor Who was Pyramids of Mars. So there's no way Tom Baker's not going to be, mm. you know. But for me, I think there's a case to be made that Tom Baker spoils Doctor Who. Mm. And even in his first three series, I think there's... <laughs> Go home! <laughs> no, look at something like Creature from the Pit. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but that's just a, him on, there's on more you know, he's of, six years in and he's like... Yeah, but there's more show. of that than but there is of My brother's the cycles. really funny, for instance. My younger brother will watch those and find... He knows oh, he's on... Oh, I think they're great fun to watch. Are you just saying if you ask get... me, is, it, is he... Is that favourite making stuff? It's mm. not. Mm, I don't know. That's... There are moments which I just... It's fun to watch. And it's joy. But... I, it's joy. Utter it's joy. But would you vote... the? Tom Baker of season 17 above Peter Capaldi or Patrick Troughton or Matt Smith. No. But and that's again, what I'm saying. But then again... It's what, for me, you know, it's Matt Smith because I make the connection. There's an emotional connection. I don't get that with Tom Baker. And a lot of the doctors don't get that. Yeah. See, so, I absolutely adore so him. I think it's the, 
You agree with that? To, to a point, yeah. To a point, because it does so become... A tea, <laughs> it does become like is, watching a cartoon. That... All I'm saying is, I adore him. There's no way he was never going to win this poll. Mm. But actually, I think on balance, he probably deserves to be in about fourth spot. I think Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi and Patrick Troughton, all across the entire period they were the Doctor, did an overall better job than Tom Baker did across the entire period he was the Doctor. And I think we're weighted towards A, the nostalgia, and B, just how good he was in those first three years. And the vote isn't balanced against the whole of what he did. And I, that's that's probably a fair point. But yet yeah. still, there's no question that anybody else was going to come anywhere near him in the mm. vote. Mm. Because those factors weigh way more heavily than... Wow. But again, the best when, when Doctor Who appeared on The Simpsons, which incarnation was yeah. it? It was Tom Baker. And these, these votes aren't... aren't weighing up the story they're not and calculating it's an instinctive vote exactly and instinctively he's the top Tom Baker's my favourite doctor I mean we're talking about about the doctor and not the stories I know Uh, but when you think about the doctor against the rest of the characters in the episodes as well when Tom Baker strides onto the the scene there isn't anybody there hasn't ever been anybody that can match that that can match that, that 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 character that he's playing and we so, see what Graham Crowden does when he tries right okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah and he was going to be a doctor once wow um, <clears throat> yeah. I, mean, I think Romana is the only one who can just about help, you know, almost steal a bit of a scene from him you know, Romana too and that, that's about it and, and that's only because the mm. <laughs> what <laughs> you stopped yourself going somewhere <laughs> I don't know I was going to say he there's a he, there is a deference in his performance to the second mm. Romana because he wants to get her into bed. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Blimey. Is that true, Tom? <laughs> well, evidently. <laughs> yeah, he actually married yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, so it's not like there isn't evidence no, no, but to no suggest there's no actual it. proof that he was impressing her whilst acting. No, I'm not saying he's impressing her. I'm saying there's a deference. Okay. If you're so is there a difference with an E? There's a generosity in, in the way he 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 allows room for her acting, yeah, yeah. which doesn't he doesn't necessarily certainly not at that time when he's performing. Yes, he doesn't, he doesn't give to allow anybody, anybody else, else no. that you, room. No, he did. Did he allow it for Mary Tam? He, allowed, he allowed it for Elizabeth Sladen, but not Lou, uh, not no, Louise, Louise James. No. Famously, Louise Jameson. I think was he only constantly it. fighting for screen time because he kept on doing cutting into lines and yeah. entering the room in odd ways and. I don't yeah. think he as an actor great. does it for Mary Tam. I think the scripts do it for him. Mm. Yeah. But I don't think as an actor he does. See, this is what I was talking about with season 16. The, the rot sets in with 15. 16 pulls it back slightly because they throw in this other character, which upsets the equilibrium. And it takes him about four stories to settle back into his <coughs> routine. I think, looking at it, that's how it works. But yeah, I... I don't think that's him deliberately doing that. I think the scripts, uh, just for a little while, made him rethink, probably subconsciously, his role in the programme before he reasserts it. Anyway, on that cheery, cheery, cheery note, (laughs) any other orders of business, or shall we... I saw Okja. Oh, it's good. That's all I need. So, and it, it it is so. Okja is the Netflix film 
mm. that looks like a children's film, looks like a Roald Dahl film, but actually turns out to be an incredibly dark mm. kind of anti anti meat eating thriller, anti comedy thriller, meat. and it needed that. Watching it, we were having a conversation months ago about I know, yeah, about yeah. about why it looked like a children's film that then flipped, and I think it needed that because. Well, does it need to be a child who befriends the animal at the start of the film then? Couldn't there have been some other way in? Because that does very definitely suggest to you that this is going to be... Yeah, but I think it needed to be, it needed to look like a children's film and then turn out to be darker because that's what it's saying about the meat industry. That the meat industry looks like it's fluffy and animals are raised kindly <coughs> and are sacrificing themselves for and our sausages. It's a way in for adults, and actually, isn't it? Emotionally, it's a yeah. way in for adults. This was done with Charlotte's Web, though, wasn't it? Well, it's like a subversion of Charlotte's Web. Yeah. It, well, it's, it's similar to Charlotte's Web, but only it's darker. We had a discussion funny. about really the funny. fact that there's swearing and graphic violence. There's definitely effing and jeffing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Well, I was, my, because I've not seen it, but looking at the trailer, I said, it didn't look to me like it needed to go that far and they could have made it a film that children could watch. But I'm gathering from what these two are saying that they couldn't. I think it's part of it. I think it's part of what it's doing. I mean, there's a risk that children would watch it, but... I think there's more than a risk that children would watch it. Children would watch it. Well, to be fair, the fact it's on Netflix, the only way children would get to watch it is they're logged in as their adults. Yeah. yeah, As as their parents. Hmm. So like any any films, children can can watch them, but if it's rated... There's also a risk that parents will say, I'm assuming it's 15 or is it an 18? Is that how the certificate on Netflix? It's probably a 15 looking at it. Mm. Because they're swearing, and but that's about it. There are lots of parents who will waive a 15 and allow their children to watch it thinking, well, it's not an 18. Yeah, but that's up to them. I mean, you know. Yeah, true. And also, I mean, Watership Down, it's got that kind of Watership yeah. Down yeah. sort of, yeah. there's a danger in showing Watership Down to, to an eight-year-old. But maybe there isn't. Maybe, you know. <laughs> Show children these things. Scarred me for life. That become I had it twice in the bloody cinema because my granddad no, didn't pick us up. The children <laughs> will accept things like violence without, unless there's already a trigger that exists, turning into violent people themselves. But pop, but see the the thing that I, your child's got to go to school the next day. Mm. If he watches Okja the night before, he's not going to go into school the next day and start beating people up. No. But he might walk into school the next day and tell his teacher to f off. No, I think possibly, that's possibly, the. Possibly. I think that's the line. I mean, it I would have kept the swearing out of it. It doesn't go kick ass to that degree of of swearing. Yeah. There are bad people that swear in it, but there are also good people who don't swear. So I think that. That probably saves it, but no, I wouldn't show. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, show yeah, children. Parents like my, my children know swear words. Yeah, but they also know when and exactly. not to say. And that's the key. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they have a spelling, don't they, as well? Do they, Simon? <laughs> Do they? Don't they? <laughs> we are not I'm having a blue box podcast on Simon's parenting shortfalls or other. As I say, but uh, they know the words; they just know when and where and not to use them. Yeah, and I suspect most kids probably yeah. do. But what I mean is, mm. not all kids do. And I'm not saying that's a result of the parents, because a lot of it is just to do with your DNA, right? Mm. Or when I say your DNA, your mental makeup, whatever you want to call it. I think if young kids use swear words and it's used with a, you know, a, the perfect comedy beat like Nick Frost and Shaun of the Dead, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the point is, if you put a swear word yeah. in front of a kid... Mm. 
then a kid is more likely to come out with this, the swear word in the classroom than they are with the violence. It's true, yeah. So, it's true. so the swearing is the line that I would draw. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we all watched Doctor Who, and we didn't go into school and start murdering people when we were kids, right? And start doing all these hideous things that we saw in Doctor Who. But if the Doctor had been effing and jeffing, I'm quite sure we'd have walked into the classroom and started effing and jeffing. Because something like that is much easier, takes much less effort. And because it's easier and takes less effort, to the mind of the person before they understand what the consequence is, appears to come with fewer consequences. Mm-hmm. Which is why I disagreed when the doctor said the word bloody for the first time on screen. Yeah, every, yeah, si- every single Harry Potter film has the word bloody in it. Which I don't <clears> think <throat> needs it. Mm-hmm. Well, in every episode in series 10 has the word arse in it. I think, yeah, though... But, the, but that's also said by the companion, you know, Penguin with its arse on fire. is actually quite hilarious. There is a... Um, so I'll let that go. There is a point, though, in the... Is the you'll tell me if this is the right or wrong expression in the etymology of language where certain words that used to be swear words stop being swear words and certain other words that didn't used to be swear words start being swear words and arse and bloody are just on the cusp of no longer being swear words and in crap. fact uh, is crap a swear word now? probably slightly more than arse but, <laughs> but it's definitely only just all the time in the, the Simpsons <laughs> yeah but arse is a word that wasn't a swear word Stop before it. it was, and now it's gone back to not Are being. You sniggering that again? No, I'm just. What <laughs> about bollocks? Is that, what about, about melon farming? <laughs> do you know? Do you know that the word quaint, the word quaint, um, has actually. I'm has asking actually, you if I expressed it correctly. The word, the word quaint has has corrupted to become a very very naughty swear word, and it comes from the word quaint. Oh, really. Yes, think about the naughtiest swear word you can. Yes. And that comes from the word Trump. quaint. It's it was in the, same the root, Avengers, was the, the same root as the word quaint. Trump. No. But if you look at, um, say, witchily, there are lots of words that we would never have in Shakespeare that are all over witchily. And Chaucer, right? There are words all over Chaucer yeah, that you... Yeah. And these... Obviously, they had a certain level of profanity at the time, but there was much lower than what they would subsequently go on to have, right? And so words come and go from being swear words. And I think if you were born in the 1960s or 70s and you've grown up thinking of arse and bloody and crap as swear words, then it's probably a shock to realise that language changes so quickly that those aren't swear words anymore. But they're not. I've seen the essentially. I've seen the uh, just one one anecdote. <laughs> I've seen the earliest written example of the use of the, the F word as a swear word that's that exists, I think. And it's in a manuscript in the Brazenose College Library. And it's a monk who's been writing out something because his abbot has told him to write it out. And monks they get really tired, so they write things in the margins to sort of describe and the the monk wrote Effing Abbott <laughs> in the margin, <laughs> and then just carried on. I have no idea. Fifteenth century, maybe. It's mm. a really old. It was a really old. I manuscript. thought it was sixteenth century. The F, would, the F word, would, no, no, because no, yeah. it related to the meddling. Yeah, be earlier, longer than be earlier that, yeah. than that, because it'd be Anglo-Saxon, so it'd be pre-Norman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like most swear well, words, maybe I... most swear words are pre. So there's a sort of a distinction between the the Anglo-Saxon <coughs> and the Norman <coughs> words. The Anglo-Saxon words are all the swear words and the brute words 
and the words for uncooked meat. So if you think of pig, cow, mm. are all Anglo-Saxon words, but the the cooked meat, the refined meat, are all Norman words. So like beef mm. and pork are all French words. So it's kind of it's kind of a, a sort of a tipping point of refinement. I'd like to know this is can, why did sheep become a lamb? That's the, that's a similar thing. So so sheep would be the Anglo-Saxon. Just seems strange that it's the same and word lamb, as the, as lamb the, would be the romantic version. Yeah, it's a refined thing. Mm. Right, I think we should say good night to the listeners. So if there <laughs> are any still to, left, I'm trying to bring the I'm trying to bring the intelligent listeners back in. The intelligent. We don't do intelligent. I'm trying to wake them up with my interesting. People don't like us because we're intelligent. Um, They like us in spite of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, The best. Right, until next week when I'm not sure what's happening is happening. I was JR. I was Simon. I was Lee. I was Matt. And you weren't quite so slow that time because we've overrun. Oh my God. (laughs) By quite some way. And we'll speak again soon. My first year Anglo-Saxon lecturer, or a medieval studies lecturer, told us about quaint, and she used she used a very naughty word in the middle of, and I'm fresh out of A level, and suddenly I've got this professor, Professor Avril Henry, saying the C word to us all, and we're trying not to wet ourselves yeah, with like shock and laughter. I thought you were referring it's, to Quim for some reason. No, 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 no. I was, no, no, much, much worse than that. Quaint to any, yeah. I think he's... No, it's not. Isn't it? No. He's a cheeky half (laughs) guy. That's why I didn't say the word. Oh, right. Well, if it it is on there, then it can be bleeped, can't it? (laughs) It's going to have to be bleeped. It will be, yeah. I may be wrong, but I think we do these relaxed episodes after a long, kind of intense run, after a series. We suddenly do this episode. It's kind of... One like this. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Possibly. I mean, it was, you know... A ranking of the top doctors. <laughs> I know that's bonkers, isn't it? That's so. Who would have thought about having a debate about the top doctors? I thought two hundred and seventy episodes. We go and do that. Are you all still talking about words? No, we finished. Oh, thank God Lee, for that. D- Lee dropped the C bomb. Did he? You might have to bleep it. Yeah. That's not recording, is it? It is. Yes, it is. Because I didn't get a chance to turn Ew. it off. Because I said, "And we'll speak again soon." And you said, "Quim," and he starts laughing. <laughs> Well, Mr. Knackety Knack plays up in land. Oh, crying out loud. <laughs> You're doing that just to be a child. Yes. Oh, brilliant. We'll speak again. Fr- Freya um, fell over the other day and she went, oh, Christ, like that. <laughs> <laughs>
That's what I mean, so, comedy timing. I know, yeah, yeah, it was so funny. She said, what? It's not a swear word, she said. It's a man. Yeah. Yeah. How do you explain it when you don't believe it yourself? You don't believe it's blasphemy, but you believe that it is a swear word. So swear words can be abstracted from I the original. I, I perceive that it could be offensive if she said it to yeah. the right person. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so it's different from words like the F word and the C word. Because it's yeah. like me telling her to eat with the mouth closed, which she never does. Yeah, but I tell my wife that. She... <laughs> Food, Simon. You say to your wife, <laughs> eat with your mouth closed. And she says, how am I supposed to get it in? <laughs> oh. With the crumbs running down her chin. <laughs> she says, you said, to, you said to her, eat with your mouth closed. And she said, woo, 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 woo. Is this a filmed episode? <laughs> we'll have to do that one time. What's oh it called? God. Facebook Live, where you mm. just stick your phone on in the corner and that we should do it sometime. That would be hilarious, wouldn't it? All sorts of people are doing that now, aren't they? All sorts. <laughs> I don't know what they gain from it. <laughs> well, people need to see this, don't they? Live stream. <laughs> we'll just make sure we put the camera... No, I was going to say we put the camera behind Lee so they can't see him, but actually if we put the camera behind Lee, they wouldn't be able to see anybody else. Whoa! Well, what we do is we, could, <laughs> we could strap, we could strap the iPhone to Lee's head. <laughs> so everywhere Lee looks, it's like like Lee vision. Lee cam, yeah. Lee cam. That would be really good. We should, oh, defi- we should definitely do that. It would work. Oh man, that's quite hilarious. Yeah. Hey, well, we could, well, we could all, we could all have cameras. Yeah, we could all have cameras. Yeah. Four times Facebook Live. Yeah. yeah. And people choose their stream. Well, actually, the sound. On all of them would more or less balance itself out, right? So people could watch all four streams at the same time and they'd still hear the same thing, right? That, that would be work. hilarious. But you, you can do a conversation thing. <coughs> it's like sleep no more. You just want to four separate streams just for long. Well, I promised I would be home by eleven. What time is it? Can't bear what? What's this to report that somebody couldn't bear sleep no more? They really did think it's it was, not, isn't it? No, <laughs> I think it's pretty sure it says. It's eleven o'clock. Oh, no, so we've just gone 11, so not that late. Saturday tomorrow? <coughs> yeah. Well, there's no reason. I just I just gave myself a target. Mm. Right, in which case I'm definitely like, pressing stop on this thing. In the Rougemont Gardens. Oh, well, I might be there as well tomorrow. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, because that's nothing. I'm going in painting tomorrow afternoon. I put my ticket. Yeah. Great stuff. It's good. You'll, Do you need you'll tickets it. to get to painting, though? <laughs> to get into painting? Yeah. They don't you're very welcome to come if you're at a loose end so whether you're interested in video games or not and it depends on whether you have a ticket I'm going to be in Tynmouth I think yeah wow and you were talking about painting <laughs> wow <laughs> let's diss the rest of Devon while we're here and I'm still waiting for a big enough pause that I can just press stop